G'day guys, welcome to episode 176 of Talking with TK. I'm your host Tristan Cannell, back to the NRL legends today and we've got former Melbourne Storm Premiership winner, also New South Wales State of Origin prop in Ben Cross. He's had a great journey and I can't wait to actually share his story. Made his first grade debut at 24 years of age, so it was quite the journey but once he got on that, that first grade Wagon, you know, he didn't look back. You know, he had a great career at uh, the Melbourne Storm, starting at the Canberra Raiders, also some good years at the Cam- at Newcastle Knights before finishing over in the Super League. But uh, had a couple of impressive State of Origin games as well, was in some country origin as well. So he's a great man, doing some great things in coaching, actually. Just finished up at the Brisbane Broncos, so he's got quite some stories from there, but also coached the New South Wales women's State of Origin team as well. So he brings it. He's been in the local league over in Newcastle as well, so plenty of coaching experience, and he's got plenty of stories to share today. Just a big shout out to everyone that's been reviewing the show lately, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Facebook page. Really appreciate all the reviews, as well as everyone that's sharing the show with your family and friends. It really helps me organically grow this show. So a big thank you to all the different posts on either Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Definitely get in touch. You can direct message me or connect with me. Facebook or Twitter, I'm at Talking with TK. Instagram, I'm Tristan Nell. Or send me an old school email, Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. My book, Talking with Champions, it's out now. So 75 of my favorite interviews across my podcast career. Plenty of NRL stars in there and also including some interviews I haven't put on Talking with TK with the likes of Jonathan Thurston, Evander Holyfield, George Foreman, Layla Ali, Mario Andretti and many more many more American superstars. So get in touch if you want to know a little bit more information or you can head to Dimix, Booktopia, Angus and Robinson. The book's called Talking with Champions. Like I said, Dimix, Booktopia or Angus and Robinson. All right, guys, excited for today's interview, and I introduce Ben Cross. All right, guys, my special guest today is Ben Cross. Ben is a former professional rugby league player whose journey took him to the NRL and English Super League. He played 95 first-grade games for the Canberra Raiders, Melbourne Storm, and Newcastle. He also won a premiership with the Melbourne Storm in 2007. He's played two State of Origin games for New South Wales, two games for New South Wales Country. He also played 44 games in the Super League for Leeds, Wigan and Witness. Post-footy, he's made some impressive strides in his coaching career with his senior roles, including being an assistant coach at the Brisbane Broncos and also the New South Wales women's head coach for three years. Welcome to the podcast, Benny Cross. Ben. Hey, you're making me blush, mate. That, that sounds... Um... Sounds pretty good when you look at it like that. Mate. Yeah, I was uh, pretty fortunate, mate. I was very, very fortunate. I was involved with some really good teams, and I was at the right place at the right time uh, for a lot of the coaching roles as well. So very fortunate. You're a very modest man. This, I think this is why that at the age of 24, you never gave up on rugby league. You never gave up on your dream, mate, because that modesty and that that determination to actually succeed, bud. So good on you, mate. Yeah. Uh, thank you, thank you, mate. Let's kick things off because I like a backstory first, and you know, you and your your brother Matty. He played in the NRL as well. So I really want to know, mate, what, what are these backyard battles like in the cross household? Mate, they were pretty good, actually. There's a funny story. Um, Brad Arthur was my first first-rate coach down in Batemans Bay yep. in 97. And uh, whenever it rained, it was just an unwritten, unwritten rule that we would all meet at the end of our street, which <laughs> was not too far from the high school. Yep. And it was the big open park, and it would just be mud footy. And all the local first-graders would come down, Brad was only in his early 20s then and local first graders knew and 
97 was a year after I'd finished year 12, so my brother was still in uh, high school and kids would just turn up and just be a free-for-all. I'm talking full contact. And um, my brother broke my cheekbone with the back of his head. Did he? It all, oh. Never be, never on the same side. You're never going to be on the same side as your brother when you're playing mud footy or something like that. And, uh, yeah, he, he got one over me on that day. And uh, we met twice in the NRL and I got on two. You're 2-0, oh, aren't you? Yeah. I've, got, I've got it written yeah. down, mate. 2016, yeah. you beat him. 17-16. He would have yeah. been blowing up. 2007, seven, yeah, 30-20, to 20, round six, both at Olympic Park. Yeah, mate. It was a good day for mum and dad. Mum and dad was obviously sitting on the fence, but um, yeah, it was unfortunate. I never got to play against him with other clubs that I played for. Yeah. He, uh, up at Newcastle when he was at Melbourne and Titans, but yeah, just two games I was at Melbourne and he was at the Panthers and I mate, Panthers, they had a massive team back then too, so uh, a lot of the boys in that team made my brother look pretty small, and he was a big boy as well. Yeah, I can imagine. Now, mate, both of you are quite tall. What you're both about six four, six three, mate. What yeah. side of the family does that come from? Um, probably my great grandfather. Yeah. Um, he was a, a whore brother oval in Young. Actually, he's got a, a ten brothers and two sisters. So wow. they were all footy players and had their yeah. own cricket team. That was my mother's side. My dad's quite tall as well. So. Uh, comes from both sides of the family, but probably more so a, a mum's side throughout my, my great-grandparents. Okay. What what age did you actually move to Batemans Bay? Uh, I was 10. We moved from Wagga. Yeah. Okay. So you got plenty of memories then still from your Wagga Wagga days? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. yeah. The old um, Wagga's produced plenty of um, cricketers and rugby yeah, league players and AFL want. players too, so it's a bit of a um, heartland for Australian sport as well. Yeah, nice one. But, you know, moving to Batemans Bay, it would have been a little bit different because you would have been living right near the beach, right? Yeah, we weren't too far. It's not too far away from the beach in Batemans Bay. It's not that big of a place. So, um, <laughs> yeah, there's a small little country town. So, we got out the bodyboard and learned how to surf pretty quickly. So, that was good fun. And, and then footy came along. I didn't start playing footy till under 14. So, I had a couple yeah. of years still at soccer and uh, progressed through. Then, all the local kids were playing footy. So, you just got to go along with the trend and do what all the other kids are doing. Or, yeah. Or, um, yeah, you just get left behind. But it was a good move, really good move for us. Yeah, Ben, how come you were a late starter? Because I know for myself, mum didn't let me play until I was 13, and that was a, no, that that was exactly a security thing. thing. Yeah, mum's the rules. So uh, that was soccer. Mum actually coached my brother playing soccer in, in Wagga. Okay. Um, so it was a, we were a soccer family for a while coming through. Dad was rugby league, played with Turby Park and joined up with the Mortimer brothers and stuff like that yep. in Wagga. But uh, now I had a primary trade in soccer tool. Till yeah, year seven was first first year of uh, rugby league, and haven't looked back. Okay, mate. So was there a kind of a secret magic boot that we just didn't see in the NRL, mate? No, mate. No, I had a couple of kicks. Uh, even got a kick in the grand final in '06, and a little grubber or two here and there. But no, nothing, nothing to write home about. No, okay. that's for sure. Nice. So, mate, growing up, you know, you just mentioned that you you took it up at fourteen. Were you a big rugby league fan coming through? Yeah, massive. Yeah, still heavily involved. Um, a big fan of footy. Obviously, Dad played, and um, yeah, backyard footy. Even though I was playing soccer, but yeah, massive fan of rugby league, and was a uh, Balmain Tigers as a kid growing up. There you um, go. So the '89 Grand Final slumped in front of the TV and ball of tears, and uh, yeah, loved the Tigers. Then I sort of started to follow players more so than teams, and sort of gravitated towards guys the position I was playing at, so Lazarus and Chief and like a roach and, and those type of players and yeah, started to follow players more so than teams. But um, yeah, always a big fan of rugby league. Yeah, mate, how good was the – because I live pretty close to where Balmain is and I yeah. saw on the street the other day someone with a Phillips 
pure oh, orange nice. shirt. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. going. That's that's the good old days when the jerseys were all cotton, the long cotton, sleeve, heavy. Yeah, and they never thought about maybe trimming up the jerseys, making a little bit smaller in the days. I don't know. They were so big and heavy. I remember playing <laughs> the days of, and they were like bed shirts. They were bed. They were so big and heavy. A little bit of rain or mud, and you just you felt like you were carrying an extra twenty kilos on your back. But um, mate, no, these these modern day boys, those retro those retro rounds, they should make yes. them bring back. Make the them cotton. wear the cotton jerseys and water and mud the field. None of these guys have had mud on their jerseys. Hundred percent, and then yeah. socks up, only socks black up. boots. Yes. None of this white rubbish. Yeah. And show them how it's really done, right? Yeah, get your socks up, boys. Get your socks up. <laughs> so, mate, coming through, because your brother actually, he played junior reps at Parra, didn't he? Yeah, mate, he, um, with Brad Arthur uh, being down at Batman's Bay, he had some connections up there. His, his dad, uh, Ted Arthur, was still heavily involved in Parramatta, and mm. uh, Matt got picked up to go to uh, Terra Sancta College, and John Paul too, and lived at the Parramatta House, and had a couple of good years there coming through. Did he? With, mate, uh, I went James. to John Paul too. Yeah, I think I think he had maybe he would have spent only about two months there. Okay, I think I'm a. <laughs> uh, oh, I would be interesting because yeah. what what age? How old's Matty? Uh, what is he? Be forty. Okay, so he's three years older than me. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, Terra Sancta College as well, coming through the schoolboy system there. So he played sixteens and eighteens uh, at Parramatta. Okay. Um, then got a little bit homesick and moved back to Canberra. Played under twenties mm. at Canberra in two thousand. Yeah, in two thousand. And okay. then sort of stepped stepped away from that footy for a little bit and just played local footy in Canberra and he sort of got back in the NRL uh, in two thousand five after I'd been at Raiders for a few years. Yeah. Okay, so what was kind of for yourself your junior development? Obviously, the junior reps wasn't the way that you got through. What was kind yeah, of the feedback I, for you? I sort of missed out on all that. I, I just played local group team, um, made a group sixteen under sixteen sort of rep team down there, and that was the only rep team ever sort of made. And then coming mm. through. In 98, um, it's senior footy in Group 7. We had the Southern Division and um, Group 7 and went through. I had an opportunity to go to St. George Lawarra. Um, met with Mick Potter, actually, okay. uh, for the 99 season. Nice. I had but, him on last week, actually. Yeah, nice. Great yeah. guy. Yeah. But then, unfortunately, or oh, fortunately for the club, St. George and Illawarra merged and become St. George Illawarra yep. the following year for 99. So they had a big influx of players coming together. So they actually didn't need to recruit any more players for the reserve grade level tier. So that sort of opportunity missed out. And I thought, oh, well, that was that was the sort of ship had sailed. And so I played in Batemans Bay for a few years um, with Brad Arthur and Adam O'Brien was yep. a halfback. Um, and then I moved to Canberra and played a, a year with Queanbeyan Blues. Mm-hmm. And we had a good connection with a couple of French clubs. So me and my brother jumped on a plane and, um, on a Friday afternoon, landed Tuesday, um, got met at the airport by someone and went to some little country town and played in France for a, for a season and then came back, um, played again in the Canberra Comp McQueen with Blues and then it was at the end of that year uh, I was invited to go to an open trial with Canberra Raiders. Yep. Um, so, and then it all sort of snowballed from there. So it was a bit of a roundabout process, but I look back now, I'm so glad I, I did it like that. I, Played for played in grand finals in Batemans Bay, won a competition up at Queanbeyan Blues. Um, mm. Played over in France uh, in that competition, had some success over there. So um, had a had a great ball before the seriousness of the NRL started. So yeah. was able to live a bit of a life before before that happened. Yeah, Ben was kind of in the back of your mind. Was the NRL always the ultimate goal? 
Yeah, especially from uh, um, the performances I had playing over in France. We were a second mm. division club, but we were playing against a lot of first division clubs in the in the Cup of France. And there was a few guys that played NRL in that competition at the time. And, okay. and guys that were in my team had played um, uh, New South Wales Cup or equivalent at that time. I said, look, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're too good to be playing at this level of footy. Mm. When you get back, um, and thankfully at Queanbeyan Blues, um, Wayne Collins signed me to go to Queanbeyan Blues okay. um, in 2000 for 2001 season. But then he got the job as reserve rate coach at Canberra. So he was there uh, for two years nice. and we still had that connection. And he goes, well, look, I, I signed you to the Blues for a reason. I saw what you've been doing in a local comp for the last two years. I want you to do that in the green jersey. So, yep. um, yeah, it's a little bit how well you can play in front of the right people at the right time sometimes. Yeah, big time, especially with open trial. Like I remember watching a lot of my friends <laughs> try to open trial for flag and SG ball. And sometimes yeah. they don't, like they're the best player in the world. They don't even get to touch the ball. Yeah, mate, it was like a throwback. It was 60 of us, and I think one guy had already been on a shadow scouting group for the Premier League back in the day, so he was already in, yeah. and they had a position for maybe one or two. They just wanted to see what was around, and uh, about four or five of us got picked up just to train full-time, but I was one of the only ones that got put onto a full-time reserve-grade training contract. Um, we were about 60 of us pretty much, yeah. and then it was just – played a, a big game of footy for about four hours, it felt like, and then got a phone call and a letter back about a week later, said, you've been accepted, come and train, got through the, the pre-season, um, made the final cut, then made the starting team for reserve rate, and then all of a sudden uh, I'm lacing up my boots for an NRL debut. Wow. <laughs> it just happened overnight. You know, we're talking about the retro jerseys. I reckon they've got to bring back the open trials. I was watching this movie oh, the other day. Have you watched that Mark Wahlberg movie where he plays for – Philadelphia Eagles, and it's an yes, open trial. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mate, you've got to bring yeah. back the open trials. Well, I think, um, what is it, the Ottawa, Ottawa Aces are um, coming into the English competition or the Division One over there, and they opened, had some um, combine open sessions the other day looking for NFL athletes and okay. ice hockey athletes to yep. try and fill their, fill their team over there. So there's a bit of in that still over there in the States and Toronto and Ottawa. Yeah, bring back the old school bash and barge and you'd be guys wearing pink headgears and orange boots just to be standing out. So oh, I reckon, yeah, bring it back. For sure, mate. Before we talk about a little bit of the Raiders, tell me a little bit about your time in, in France because it's always interesting, especially for an Aussie yeah. going over there. Like, could you speak any language? How did they put you up, et cetera? Mate, I got, um, flew into Paris and got a connecting flight down to Lyon um, and – a pre midi and a von midi is AM, regardless of how it looks at. And my flight came in at six AM. Yeah. And the Frenchie thought it was six PM, so after midday, a pre midday. So I'm here at the airport. No one's there to pick me up. And Phil, I make a few phone calls to my French manager. <laughs> and this guy is the president's son. Comes and picks me up. I'm the only um, Aussie in the town. A little country town called Tonnins, which is about an hour outside of Bordeaux. So yeah. I've flown to Lyon, had to drive to Bordeaux, then gone to the Tonnins. And uh, I was there for about a month and a half. Um, and it was terrific. They uh, welcomed me with open arms. I actually picked up the language pretty quickly because I was the only one there. And to, to get by, I had to um, learn pretty quickly if I wanted to go and buy food and groceries. And mm. I had a car. That was dangerous, having a car. <laughs> I mean, never driven on the right-hand side of the road before. So... But then um, I got a little bit homesick. My brother was up at Paris with three other Aussies okay. um, at the club called Chatillon and actually put in for a request to get a transfer and I got it 
only because they found a replacement, uh, which was Cooper Verner's brother. Okay. Big Cooper yeah, Verner, yeah, the winger. Yeah, so yeah. His brother came over from the Queanbeyan Kangaroos to take my place um, at the cop. So it was, it was such a connected little thing that I could get a transfer only because someone could take my place. And yeah. um, they found someone to take my place. And I found myself in, in Chadion playing up there in Paris. And, and we, had a, we had a pretty good side. We won the championship. Um, we were minor premiers, but we lost the best of three grand finals. Um, so it was like a state of origin series wow. over the space of yeah. It was it was a bit of a taxing toll on your body, but it was just so you could sell more tickets. Not that we got a massive crowd, but um, yeah. What do you think of? Because I've heard a couple of the NRL coaches put that forward. Maybe a best of three grand final series. What's your oh, thoughts? I know. I, I think that's why, like the USA Super Bowl and the NRL grand final, the AFL grand final is so valuable. You mm. get one shot. Um, and you've got to leave it all out there on that day. And, yeah, you might have been the best team all year, um, but you've got to still bring it that day. And that's why I think uh, the value of of one one game grand final is so special. Yeah. And um, you'd think in physically it would be a little bit impossible to get up for three games. Like, for yeah, example, exactly, the NBA, mate. you can do it seven games, but the physicality yeah. is totally different. That's right, mate. That's right. So if, if you lose, uh, even if you win the game, win f- first game in – and you've got a, one of your key players that's pretty beaten up mm. and might not be able to play game two, um, or you've lost the first game and you really need to win the second game to keep the series alive, well, then you're clutching at straws. So, oh, I like that. It's a, a one-game grand final. Yeah, it's sure. Excitement for the fans as well. What were the French boys in the league like? Were they pretty dirty? They were pretty wild, yeah. Got a few roundhouse kicks to the head. So, um, <laughs> yeah, there were some big boys, big, strong boys in that but, um yeah, you had to make sure everything was protected. And I mean everything from <laughs> toes to ears to eyes to uh, the genital area. Yeah, you had to make sure everything was protected at times. But, so, um, yeah, so it's fair yeah, to say you, grew, you grew up as a player over in France, mate. And I, I grew up in a pretty tough competition in, in Group 7 and um, and France only exacerbated that um, toughness that I needed to make it in the NRL. Yeah. What was Brad Arthur like? You know, you mentioned before he coached yeah. uh, at A-grade. What was he like in, in A-grade back then? Mate, he was pretty intense even back then. Yeah, um, You could see spray. he had the qualities qualities of a good coach coming through. Um, unfortunately, he did his knee, his ACL, the first um, first game he played for the club in 97. Okay. Funnily enough, it was a charity match between Batemans Bay and Marie, and they raised money for for both hospitals and good reason why because both nearly both teams end up in the hospitals after the game. The game's that violent. He, he did his knees. He was quite frustrated the first year, second year, and he was a very good coach, very skill-oriented coach at the t- uh, time, and um, I, I no doubt I can see why he's moved through to the NRL. Yeah. Now, you know, you've had quite the experience with the, the level of coaches that you've had. Like, I know that you do a little bit of university study yeah. now, but you yeah. literally did an NBA in coaching by just being around some of these characters, mate. Yeah, or even um, even the coaches that had yeah Brad Arthur, who's now NRL head coach from a coach at Queanbeyan Blues, Mick Mantelli, he's been a part of the Italian coaching mm. uh, fraternity and, and coached at Canberra Raider level and overseas. Uh, and so fortunate enough to be under Wayne Collins, Matty Elliott, Craig Bellamy, like. You, you take a little bit of all these coaches. Um, and, yeah, as, as footy players sort of forget that they might not have a university degree if they haven't gone through university. But mm. if they wanted to go into sports coaching or footy coaching when they do finish the career, don't forget about what knowledge you've gained throughout your rugby league yeah. career, not just as a player, 
but how you've actually been coached. And when you actually understand how to coach and that coachability of other people, um, and you look back on the players that have influenced you, footy players have got a lot to offer. Yeah, I agree. Like I was talking to my boss the other day, and for him, he's come through just playing soccer his whole life, for me, rugby league. But we're just chatting just about our team and the fact that for me and him, it's pretty easy to to receive feedback. It's pretty pretty easy for us to put team first. But you can also – so this is no criticism against other people within our team or within our organisation, but you can kind of pick out the people that actually haven't played any level of sports because it is a very individual focus first – and yeah. as soon as you try to give him any bit of feedback, it it doesn't get it doesn't go down well at all. Yeah, I think that's just a little bit of their background as well. Um, whether it comes back to the parents, uh, the character of the person, how they've been brought up, and the type of feedback has always been praise, and mm. and people associate criticism with it being a negative con- negative association, where it's actually not. It's it's a feedback to help you to get better. And, and that's where sometimes you, you would find with yourself with that, mm. uh, that, that you have players or teammates have issues with it. Yeah. How have you found kind of the educational side of coaching? Yeah, terrific. Um, I've gone through all the NRL pathways, coach a real good um, access to mm. the stepping stone and understanding, but ultimately coaching and physically doing coaching is your, your best teacher yeah. and then getting mentored. Uh, we have a time with Anthony Sewell had a terrific mentor and, uh, and Michael Hagen when I was coaching at um, South Newcastle in the Newcastle competition for two years. I just rang him up and I said, look, I'm helping coaching these players, but I've got no one around me. I've got no coaches that are essentially higher qualified than me at the club. Can you come and just keep an eye on me? And, he jumped at the chance. Was he couldn't wait to get back to a bit of grass grassroots footy, and uh, yeah, we had a great time together. And I call him a good friend, and he was he was a great mentor to get that that insight into a geez, he's a premiership yeah. premiership winning coach, state of origin assistant coach, and now Australian assistant coach. So there's geez, there's worse guys you can get mentored from. That's for sure. Oh mate, your mentors are just through the roof, mate. Just on mentoring, you know yourself. You know you spent last season. With Brisbane and until this COVID thing, you were obviously in the preseason with it as well. Have you seen a more talented group of forwards ever in your career? No, and it's it's quite scary where they can get to as a group collectively, and mm. um, they really feed off each other really well. Uh, being so young, and a lot of them have got good level heads on their shoulders. Paddy Carrigan, uh, Thomas Flegley, got Payne Haas. The, the list goes on. Um, and even their elder statesman, like Matty Lodge, is only 24 to 5. Yeah. I'm only even 26. So it's still quite young. Um, so they've got a lot of future together. It's whether the club can handle to keep them all together uh, under the salary cap because the more and more these guys play and the more and more these clubs see how good these kids are, there'll be clubs clambering all over them. Yeah. Um, Do you have yeah, to hold them back a little bit, Ben? Oh. As in, I don't think so. I think if they're good enough and they're ready enough, they can play. But there was times last year you get, you get these first-year players that, yeah, after about five or six games, the, the physical toll and the emotional toll of the NRL was taking its effect on a couple of the players. Yeah. But at times we didn't have the capability to rest these guys either because we had injuries as well. Mm. So they've essentially got through a pretty tough year, um, got that experience, and... That experience can't be 
bought. It has to be put in blood, sweat, and tears on the pitch. Yep. You, you can't go and buy it. You can't take it from someone else. You've actually got to experience yourself. So, uh, and they experienced some some tough lessons there last year as well. So, mm. uh, when you go through, through some adversity or lose some tough games, that that'll be some good inherent long term learning for the players of actually how to play NRL. Yeah, um, and you can see that with the, how they started the year and hopefully how they uh, progress for the rest of the year. Yeah, Ben, Payne Haas, you know, you played in the same position and you used to rip it in and you know how much juice it takes to be a front rower. Him playing 70 yeah. minutes, mate, that's that's a freaking nature. Mate, just off the, off the cuff, like whatever, one of the games there, we just needed him to play 80 and said, yeah, no problem. Like just didn't bat an eyelid. And that's a, that's a credit to him. That's a credit to his family, to how hard he's worked as a kid coming through. And, and that's something that's just been ingrained in him for a long time. I know his, mm. his old man was a pretty hard taskmaster and he, he loved running up and down hills and doing at-home boxing sessions. So that stuff pays off. And I, I tell anyone who wants to make it at any level of sport, mm. especially NRL, whatever you're doing at designated training sessions is never going to be enough to keep you there. And it's never going to be enough to get you to where you want to be. Uh, because if everyone else is doing that, well, then you're all going to be at the same level. You've yeah. got to do something outside of that uh, to surpass them and surpass your previous best. And, mate, he, he does it week in, week out. Yeah. Now, you know, your first coach, mate, at NRL level was Matty Elliott. And for me on the podcast, I've interviewed just hundreds of people now. He's the smartest person I've ever interviewed. What He's was, quite intelligent. Oh, you know, I think even him awesome. just giving answers back, you go – I've never really thought of it like that, you know. But he's a heavy, deep thinker. Sometimes he's too intelligent for his own good. Yeah, I think he I think can so wrap, as well. get himself wrapped up in in overthinking. Um, um, terrific student of the game as a coach, and, and taught me a lot um, initially. It was a good coach to have uh, coming into first rate initially as well. Um, yeah, it was very structured, analytical approach to the game. Mm. Um, yeah, there's no doubt that um, he's worked very hard on his craft and becoming now a bit of a, a leading foresight into wellness and managing of um, professional organisations and being a, a bit of a mentor of his um, business that he does now and still heavily involved in rugby league, being commentary work. And yeah, um, yeah I enjoyed my time with Matty. Yeah. What about guys like, because you, again, we talk mentors, Ruben Wiki. Jason Croker, you came through at a pretty good time. What did you learn specifically from those two boys? Uh, through torts, uh, Jason Croker, I learned a, little, a few things to do off the field. He was a bit of a madman, <laughs> but uh, he was just a competitor, mate. He was just an out-and-out competitor, um, big, strong, um, just yeah, that was his his biggest strength was his strength, mm. mate. He was by far the strongest in the gym and just his competitiveness. And um, Ruben Wiki just taught me how to compete um, and apply yourself as a professional. Everything I've ever achieved after my time at Raiders was massively credited to uh, Ruben Wiki, just how to approach being a professional athlete day in, day out, uh, when you've got the jersey on, when you don't have the jersey on. Uh, whatever you're a professional athlete, whether you've got the the logo on your chest or not, mm. you're still a professional athlete and that's how you should behave and, and conduct yourself. Um, and as I was talking before about what you've got to do outside of the normal training, uh, that, that was a big part of uh, Ruben Wiki's um, influence on me. 
Yeah. Now, you make your debut against the Dragons at Jubilee on a Sunday Arvo, but I'm sure you would have been pretty close. You would have been 18th man a few times before that, wouldn't you? Uh, I think I had about four or five 18-man debuts. <laughs> that would have been um, tough to take. So Matty would ring me up and call me in for the captain's run and said, oh, you're going you're gonna to play this week. And all of a sudden, I was 18th man. And all of a sudden, I think, yeah, I, think I was prepping myself to make my, eight, my debut <laughs> eight, uh, about four or five times. He even flew me over to New Zealand as 18th man. And I was just, oh, mate, I almost tripped someone just so they could do their yeah. ankle, just so I could get it. Were there. you ringing your parents back home and they would have thought yeah, you were the boy might, who cried wolf? Yeah, I might be playing this weekend. I might be playing this week. Yeah. yeah. But the trip to New Zealand was almost the, the final straw in the hat. I sort of looked at him and said, Look, mate, if you're going to do this again, I've got to be playing next time. And <laughs> funnily enough, it, it, it was um, a game at Oakie Jubilee against the Dragons. The next game I was... Was penciled in. I played, so it was terrific. Mate, it's funny you got suspended for hitting Piggy. I got Piggy on tomorrow. Any messages for Piggy? Uh, no, you probably wouldn't remember. It was it was such an innocuous little thing. I'd got a carryover points from Premier League. I caught someone high, carried for about seventy five points, and at the time they were sort of cracking down into the game for just unnecessary contact with the head. Yep. And all I did was <laughs> sort of as I got up, I put my forearm across his head, across his forehead. So that was unnecessary contact. Carried about thirty or forty points, and then I, I got uh, got suspended for it. So, from a tough old front row, it was a pretty weak thing to get suspended for. <laughs> <laughs> hey Ben, for someone that you know spent a lot of time at the Storm, and you know at the Storm they're the experts at wrestling, and that's a big reason why the two refs were actually introduced all the way back then. What do you think about it going to one ref? I don't agree with it. I think. Um, there's already been too much change this year as it mm. is with the disruption, the hiatus of the game that want to go back to normality as fast as possible and there's no need to change uh, what doesn't need to be changed. And I think Trent Robbins came out and said that he'd like to see about uh, five or six or seven games of uh, that change of the rule with mm. one referee and no penalties in the ruck done at Canada Cup and New South Wales Cup level, under 20s level. And that's how it should be. It should be implemented at a lower level until we see it in the in the uh, NRL. So coming into, into what is essentially almost the middle of the year, but yeah. still the start of the season, just go back to what we know initially. And then if you need to look at it, reassess it at the end of the year. Because if the experts are saying, which are the professional NRL head coaches, they're not agreeing with take their advice. They know what they're talking about. They're the ones involved in the day-to-day playing and running the game mm. where Volandis, for all these good qualities and that he's doing terrific for the game, he's not at the coalface of what's happening on the actual footy field. Yep. And for the fans coming back to the game after a hiatus, they want to just watch what the game has been all about. If there's going to be rule changes, bring it to the end of the year for next year. Yeah, uh, But at this stage, don't change it. Don't change. Ben, it is an interesting year, but with especially because you mentioned before the amount of steam that got taken out of your boys last year with Origin. Like with Origin being after the grand final, you know, you've played Origin. You know yeah. how much it takes out of your system. It's a totally different ball game going in this year, isn't it? It is. And I can, I can see both sides of this going, look, it has to be played at the end of the year with the disruption of what's happened already. Um, and look, will the crowds be still there for it and the excitement around it that it's not just a, um, a mid-season break, but it's actually mm. a mid-season massive influx and boost for the competition having started Origin in the middle of the year. With it being after the grand final, I think with what's happened on this year, everyone will still be quite excited about watching three games of State of Origin. And essentially, 
having three games back to back, even at that high level, I think with the recovery protocols uh, and the professionalism in place today, they'll be able to handle it. Because if you have the normal state of origin uh, format as it is, yes, they have to sit out a game the week leading up to the origin, if that's yeah. on a Wednesday night. Mm. But a lot of those players would back up and play that Friday or that mm. Saturday after that game anyway, and then yeah. even play the week after as well. So essentially they're playing three games in a week and a half period where this is just three games over three-week periods. So, um, yeah, I don't think that will sort of change the physical demands on the players too much. Uh, but going back to next year, I hope that they bring it back to yeah. mid-season. Um, What's it like? I know, I know a few coaches have asked to see throughout the middle of the year, we just have two general buyers in the yeah. middle of the year and they have an origin game, a general buy, an origin game, a general buy, then back to normality. That that could be something that could be introduced as well. Mm. For, for someone making their debut like you did back in, what, 2008, when you're making your debut game one and you win, obviously you got injured and you set out game two yeah. and then you lose game three and lose the series, that's a lot of highs and lows. How much does that toll take on you mentally? Yeah, just as much as the physical toll of origin, it's the emotional roller coaster, and that's where a lot of fans um, and supporters probably don't really uh, see. Like they, they might see a player go and play state of origin, might lose an origin series, mm. but they look at him and goes, oh, he's an origin quality player now that he goes back to his club and his form isn't great the first couple of weeks back at the club level after origin. It's because it's been physically draining. Like it's a 10-week process three massive important games mm. uh, you're physically drained and like if you're a new south welshman you lost eight or nine on the road like and you're losing it it was an emotional drain as well because so much expectations put on you um the more experienced guys can sometimes handle that better than inexperienced guys but it does take a lot and it does take a, a pretty mature guy uh, emotionally to handle those setbacks if you've if you've lost a series and essentially even if you won Mm. Not that I know that I've won, won, a, won a game and been around guys that won series. They're still up on an absolute high. Then mm. going back to the NRL level is for a, a bit of a deflator, even though it's the premier competition of rugby league. Going back to NRL weekend, the, the standard of the game compared to original is, is a level below. So yeah. it's actually a bit of a deflating feeling until that becomes your norm again and they sort of get back into the the groove of the week-to-week NRL. Okay. Just sticking on that mental side of thing, you know, we, we talked about your debut. You know, you debuted at 24, which is a lot of perseverance, a lot of not quitting. Like a lot of people yeah. quit because they can't make it before that time. What stopped you from quitting? Uh, yeah, just something, some internal drive. Um, and I've been with that in everything I do, uh, whether it's my studies or, or with it's actually trying to be a footy coach. Yeah. Um, I know you just sort of got to want to do it. Um, Did you see yourself as an underdog? Oh, I wouldn't probably say, yeah, maybe to a degree an underdog, but I was quite a a successful young uh, athlete growing up. I Mm. was very skilled in cricket, had a a terrific junior cricket um, career as I was coming through, was talented enough as a footy player, uh, probably just wasn't at the right place at the right time to be picked up by a few Junior clubs when I was like, I didn't play rugby league in year nine. Okay. The first year of under 16s, where that probably could have been a showcase to be able to get picked up by an NRL club, the mm. junior level. So I sort of missed out on that opportunity. But um, 
essentially is an underdog. No, just someone that's just not willing to give up on once I've sort of got my compass set due north. I just I need to have a strategic plan and then tick off little um, processes along the way to sort of get to where I wanted to go. And I've done that with my coaching career. I, yep. I sort of mapped out a way I wanted to do it and I sort of did that with my um, footy career as well. Yeah. And, you know, what age is just no, it doesn't really matter what age you get there. Um, it's what you do with it when you get there. Yeah, totally agree, mate. Now, you moved to Melbourne in 2006, but what's this I hear that you actually rejected Craig Bellamy early in the past? Yeah, mate. Um, yeah, I said no to him 2003, actually. <laughs> he rang me up just after uh, my debut, actually. It was just after my debut, and I'd been selected to play for New South Wales Residents. Yeah. Um, there'd been a couple of phone calls toing and froing, and I really didn't have a manager at the time. And... Who was Craig Bellamy at the time? Mm. Well, he was Melbourne Storms. Um, that was his first year as head coach down there. I didn't really know, know that he was an assistant coach at Brisbane or anything. I didn't really know much about him or, or much about anyone that was involved in the NRL. And, um, I was just happy to be playing for, at the time, my local NRL club. Like I played in the Canberra competitions. How good is this? Like yeah. home's only two-hour drive down the road to the coast. I'm playing with Ruben Wickey and Simon Wolford of these guys. And I, I thought this was unreal. How good is this? And uh, entertaining the thought to go in Melbourne and leaving Canberra at the time, I, I didn't really see that as a um, a positive step for me. Yep. And the, it was the right, right call for me at the time to stay in Canberra because I don't think going to Melbourne for the 2004 season would have been right for me. I'd only, well, I, I still hadn't had a full NRL preseason um, for 2003 season. I trained all year with um, the reserve grade side, mm. so I essentially hadn't been an NRL player or NRL contracted player. Um, what I know now from being at Melbourne, um, I would have adapted and, and been able to handle it, but um, not maturity level so much, but more so about just getting to know what NRL was about. And, Mm. And learning off those guys around me, so yeah, I had to knock the knock the big fella back. <laughs> he, he got his man eventually. He got his man eventually. <laughs> ben, you know they say that a lot of the players I talk to say that they become a first grader at fifty games. But for a mature age person who came in at twenty four, does that number come down a little bit? Yeah, probably because it, it played a lot of a um, lot of country level footy and a lot of um, footy in Canberra and even footy over in France. Obviously, so it played. Mm. Yeah, I think um, by count, I might have had nearly 200 games under my belt before I actually played my NRL debut. Wow, that's a lot so of fun, like mate. My NRL games and stuff like that are only 95, 140 all up, and that's a bit, but I'd played nearly 200 games yeah. um, under my belt before I got there, um, which is a lot of wear and tear on the body as well, mm. from 18-year-old kid um, to a 24-year-old man playing in the front row. Um where one season there, I played three seasons back to back virtually, and um, yeah, that that sort of helped my footy a fair bit. But uh, I even learnt the game more so when I got to Melbourne a little bit more that uh, learned more about your role and yeah, um, what's required of you to yeah. be a first grader. Just before we go on to the the role side of things, just something I noticed just in your your bio, you know, you did a lot of you did personal training and you've done your strength and conditioning certs. Yep. Now I know that Craig Bellamy also came from a S and C background. Was that something that you took from him just to learn the, nah, the demands? No, not really. I, um, I had a bit of an injury there in 2004. Um, myself and Tyron Smith did our level uh, cert for personal training while I was in Canberra. Then okay. took a bit of interest in that. Then uh, while I was at Newcastle, 
I always had a bit of an insight into the SNC world. I always mm. like talking with the SNC coaches at all the clubs because look, they're your first and foremost. Like they look after you. You can you can play more games on the footy field. So took a real interest in that, and then sort of followed that through. Did my level one while I was at Newcastle, and when I got back from the UK, I did my level two SNC and uh, worked a little bit in those sectors. But um, hopefully, you can sort of progress through with coaching. Yeah, yeah. Those yeah, Craig was an SNC. Yeah, at Canberra. Um, Canberra a little bit. Yeah. yeah, mate. It's interesting how you know the SNC guys are so interesting. I had Donnie Sinjon from Manly a couple of weeks ago, yeah. mate. Some of the stories that he's got and just the, their own pathways into what they do. Like it's it's a long, long road in the SNC game. It's really it who, sometimes who you know, and then once you get your chance, you got to win. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's just um, I heard a thing though. It's it's who luck. It's a lot of who luck and mm. putting yourself in the right position with the right people. Um, they're always going to make sure that you're well qualified to do your job, but it's all about connection with people and having the right connections because people want to work with people they can trust and they think that they're, they're decent human beings first and foremost. So yeah, having a lot of good who luck really helps as well, and, and that's that doesn't happen by accident either. Mm. Now, you know, back to the Storm stuff, mate. I've had a few of the yeah. boys on recently. How was your army camp the first time? You know what? I'm probably about one of the only players that never had to go on an army camp. What happened? No, he just no. When I was there in '06, they didn't have one. Yeah. Um, and then going in from '06 to the '07 season, we didn't have one either. And I didn't even have to go and do the two week work experience on uh, like on the tools and stuff like that, and then go first rate train because Craig knew in 2003 that. I was working as a scaffold in Canberra, oh, okay. and yeah, yeah. was already doing that as a um, as a NRL first grader. Like the day after my second game in the NRL, I was on the job side on the Monday, mm. so I got a bit of a reprieve from those two things. So don't worry, our training was still plenty hard enough, and I've gone through enough uh, probably hard training and and sessions like that down there to um, know about the army camps. That's for sure. Yeah, who was? Did you have Corvo? Is that who you had? Yeah, we had Corvo, big Corv. Yeah. Yeah, I heard he was a he was a bit of a taskmaster. Yeah, mate, he, he loved the sound of his own voice, mate. A bit of a drill sergeant, <laughs> so yeah, as they all do. Uh, all these SSC coaches have collared shirts tucked into their jeans with joggers on, so they all look the same. But no, nah, he's a great guy, Corvo. Yeah, Ben, how did you adjust from being a fringe and a bench player at Canberra to being a starter at the best club in the NRL? Uh, a lot of hard work. Um, yeah, a lot of hard work. I just. Um, you had an opportunity to go to a good club. Melbourne were on the up. Um, you could even see from a time at Canberra, would play down there in 2005 um, before I got to go there and uh, got our butts whipped. Mm. And then we, I played them up in, um, in Canberra as well and just had a good feel about the team and they had all these kids coming through uh, and just knew from day one. Uh, Michael Maguire was an assistant coach there and he'd coached me at Canberra Raiders and he said, Cross, just... Start. I know you train hard, but just start training. Do a lot of running. Do a lot of bike riding, and yeah. and I just trained my butt off. Um, and then the first preseason I got there, it was it, it all paid off. The hard work that uh, Craig just trusted me to do my job. Um, I was as fit as could possibly be. I worked as hard as I could in the gym. Worked hard at my game, video analysis of my positions, and it just made sure I didn't leave any stone unturned. Because as you said, like I started at twenty four. Throughout my whole career, I thought I was always trying to catch up, mm. 
and I was always just trying to make up for lost time. So I was never going to take anything for granted. I just worked my bloody ass off when I was down there. Yeah. How does, you know, Craig Bellamy is noted as one of the greatest coaches of all time, but a word that a lot of people say is trust. And trust is a huge thing to build. How do you think he does it so efficiently and effectively? Yeah, well, it goes a lot along the lines of how they train. They don't, and there's no real secret. Like people go, what's the secret to Melbourne yeah. Storm? Well, it's just a bucket load of hard work. Mm. It really is. And within that hard work, trust is built. Trust from you as the player to the coach that when you know the coach has got your best interests at heart, you're going to put your best foot forward. And when the coach knows that you're working as hard as you can every minute of the day to be the best footy player you can be, then he'll trust you to do your job out the footy field. Mm. Um, and then it goes on evidence-based. If you're, if you're always ticking a box and being the best you can be on and off the field, well, then the coach will trust you to do a job. Um, and then you as a, as a player, like I mentioned before, that um, you watch how Melbourne play or you watch how successful teams play, mm. um, you can have faith in the coach that, you know, he, he's telling me this for a reason um, because he's trying to help me. Maybe I should listen to him if he knows what he's talking about. I'll implement this or implement that. You know what? He's right. That, that does help my game. When that happens, instead of being dictated to by some coaches could be to their players, and that doesn't work work the best for a lot of players, but um, that trust is built up over time and just through hard work. Yeah. Did his coaching change at all at origin level? Uh, yeah, with, with origin, with Craig, um, it was not that he wasn't a good coach at that level. Mm. It just his influence on players is over a sustained period of time. Yeah. So how trying to build up that culture, build up that trust over a length of period of time. So that takes a preseason, that takes a season, that takes a, a couple of years to do. Um, at origin level, you've got 10 weeks to do it in. Yeah. Um, and he's working with players that are extremely talented players, but he mightn't know them too well as a person um, and know a lot about their characteristics or a lot about their mannerisms or how that player best works with that player and integrates. And that was one of Craig's really good qualities that um, he had that personal connection with you as a player um, and really cared about you as a person. And that's something you can't really mm. grasp quickly within an origin uh, period of 10 weeks or so. So that, that, that was a, a bit of a hard a hard thing for, for not for him to sort of grasp, but hard for his coaching style. Yeah. You know, that personal connection you just spoke about, is that something yeah. that is very big in your coaching philosophy? Oh, massively, yeah. Um, because you're dealing with the person first and foremost. Like, you've got to have the player's best interest at heart because yeah. it's not about you as a coach. No one goes out there to watch the coach play. No one cares mm. essentially even who the coach is. They want to see the players. So everything you've got to do is is, is for the players and be a player-centred um, coach. Um, I'm going to have hand on heart say that I've cared for all the players I've had under my tutelage from Newcastle to South, um, Newcastle to the Knights to Broncos. Um, and you've got to build up those relationships and the, those connections and um, shake their hand, ask them how their day was, ask them how their home life is because you're dealing with a lot of people with a lot of emotions behind what they do. Um, footies just so happen to be what they do to get paid. Mm. It's the person in front of you that you've got to coach first and foremost, the footy player second. Yeah. One thing on, on coaching I wanted to ask you about, because I had, do you remember the old Canberra prop, David Wesley? I do. Yeah. I do. So I had him on on Monday, and obviously he coaches the PNG women's team. Yes. But 
he was just saying how much he enjoys coaching the women because they're so open yeah. to learning. They're still a yeah. little bit raw, but the amount of effort that they put in is just yeah. unbelievable. Like, how have you found kind of coaching the girls? Yeah, well, well with my three years with the New South Wales team, it, it was pretty much that. Um, they really wanted to understand the why they were doing something. Mm. And when they really explained why they were doing it, they grasped it and just ran with it. Um, and they were very much sponges. They, a lot of them had played junior footy or even touch footy um, or Oztag coming through the ranks. But yeah. um, they, nothing was always really explained to them, the intricacies of why they were doing X, Y, Z. Why did we go to that part of the field? Or why do you hold the ball that way? It was just say, just do this or just do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once they sort of got, got coached in that realm, they sort of opened up and they were sponges. They just wanted to learn all the time. And, and again, we, we had some success because we built really good trust and really good relationships um, between all our players and interconnected relationships as well. So players to players like and making sure that players got to know each other really well on and off the field. And, and that happened within training sessions and, and with the things that I implemented there as well. But, yeah, I really enjoyed my time coaching um, coaching women. And you really had to know your stuff as a coach to coach. Yeah. Because essentially you could be coaching someone who's an athlete and never played the game a lot. Yeah. So it's up to you as the coach to really teach her how to play the game. Where senior men's, you know all the players know how to play the game, know what rugby league you're about. Um, you've just got to get them to, to be better in some way. Where mm. some of these female athletes, they hadn't played a lot of rugby league before, so they actually had to teach them how to play the game. Yeah, that sounds more fun because you get to use all your skills because, you know, you're good at personal. You have to. But you're good yeah. at teaching skills. Like sometimes with the boys, they've come through so many grades. At one level, you're not really teaching them skills at, at one point, right? You, you're more man in man. No, like, yeah, even at the Broncos there where – I was say I was coaching Darius Boyd. Darius Boyd is a 300 game. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to coach him on observational things that I think might be able to help help his game, not so much critique things that he's been doing his whole career that's worked. Um, might be just little adjustments here and there. And he picks up on it. He doesn't pick up on it. He wants to implement it. He doesn't want to implement it. Yeah. Um, uh, that's how you deal with those guys. Uh, younger guys coming through, you have a bit more influence because you are a bit more of a senior figure, a senior authority, mm. and they do look up to you a bit more that you might know a little bit more. So, uh, yeah, you've got to adjust how you're coaching to who's in front of you. Yeah, mate, just on Darius, you know, you guys played in the 2006 Grand Final. Does he give you a little bit of stick when, when you're out there? On no, the mate, he keeps his mouth shut there. Does he? No, no, <laughs> that sort of stuff has come up too much, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, it was, um, I think that was his debut year, actually. It was, too, yeah. 2006. So I was pretty fortunate for him to win a company's first year. And I've spoken about that game a couple of times. And it was funny enough, obviously, coming in my first job um, as a professional coach with the Brisbane Broncos. And <laughs> you see the trophies there and you sort of look at it and you go, oh, yeah. But that one, yeah. Shane, Shane Webb's his last game. <laughs> look, if you're going to have to lose to someone, um, and it was a good game. And by all honesty, we played like crap. And we really did. We we saved our worst performance for the most important game of the year. We just weren't there. So, yeah, good luck to him and good luck to Shane. But you think about learning experience, and you did mention Shane. The other guy, Petro, you got Ben Hannon yeah. on the bench. Like, if you're yeah. going to learn from a game, that's pretty much a good game to learn from. Yeah. Yeah, don't forget there's another guy called Brad Thorny out there as well. Thorny too. Massive. Yeah. Yeah, they were a huge footy. They were a massive forward pack at the time too. So internationals right across the board. Sammy Thido's in there as well, Corey Parker. So, yeah, they were, they were no mugs, that's for sure. 
Mate, you get one the next year. Mate, how, how intense for you was the rivalry with Manly? Yeah, look, we'd lost 13-12 at Brookvale earlier in the year yeah. and everyone was just sort of talking Manly up all year that um, that, that was going to be their year. We were falling off our perch a little bit, but we, we started to come really good at the back end of the year. Um, I don't think we played Manly again until the grand final. We only played them once in the regular games, mm. the regular season round, and people still had them pitted to beat us. And the rivalry probably more so started after that grand final. Um, Matty Orford helped it a little bit, being a former halfback there yeah. at, at um, Melbourne. He said he went to Manly because he wanted to win and play in premiership. <laughs> but if he had stayed at Man- Melbourne, he would have played in two and won one in 07. Yeah. So... Uh, that that sparked a bit of a fire under the boys. Manly went on, obviously, and, and had a bit of success the year after and a couple of years after that as well. But, um, yeah, the role was sort of happened more after that 07 game. Um, and then I'd, I'd sort of left after that. But, mate, they're always good games. They're yeah. always good games against Manly at, at Melbourne. Ben, are you much yeah. of a drinker, mate? How's the celebrations go? Mate, they were, they were a big one. They were pretty big. <laughs> in fact, there was a good, long, solid week, that's for sure. Uh, visit to Molly Meldrum's house was in there as well. Oh, uh, big Molly! Yeah, you can put on a good show for us. And no, the um, infamous grand final celebrations—they were well and truly in full swing that week. Yeah, are you spotted? You know, by that stage of the season, does are you spotted out in the streets by the people? That's all right. We were down in Melbourne too, so we're still sort of tucked away. No yeah, really so still pretty quiet. Much. And, yeah, and uh, we sort of. Hung around our local um, places that we used to frequent, and they used to look after us. So uh, we we're pretty well kept down there. In fact, actually, in Melbourne, that was one good one good thing about Melbourne. That you're you're out of the limelight, but they sort of um, they looked after you as well, pretty well. Yeah, for sure. Now you know the following season, you moved to Newcastle. You know, by that stage of your career, money has to become a, a factor because you're running out of years to actually make some money from the sport. Yeah, was yeah. that a, was that a huge factor in moving to Newcastle? Yeah, it was, um, and Craig virtually talked me into it. Um, they were doing their best they could to keep me down in Melbourne. Um, a good offer came from Newcastle. Um, he'd actually played up in the Newcastle competition, knew a bit about Newcastle. Yeah. Uh, I think there was a, a Bulldogs might have been a little bit interested in the time as well, and he said, sat down, we, we actually had a chat, and he talked me into it. He goes, look, I think being a one-team town, you've always been a one-team town player. Yeah. Uh, the type of people, the type of person you are, the, how you play your footy, he said they'll really endear themselves to the way you play play the game. A tough town, hard working. That's what you are. Um, I said if I was you, I'd be taking the offer at Newcastle, and and I did from his chat there. Um, and we didn't we didn't look backwards. Newcastle was a terrific terrific place to live and play footy. Yeah. Um, hasn't yeah most definitely has not had the success that the place deserves. But it, in, the, in the same light, that hasn't been well run uh, for a number of years. Um, even my time there as a player and as a coach. Um, it's a good started. learning experience, but isn't it? Because when you oh, get, when you have a look at it, you know, they turn the whole thing around and Brian Smith comes in, clean out, Danny Wicks yeah. thing. Like, there's a lot yeah. for a young player that that you yeah. learn then that you take into your coaching now. Yeah, definitely. And not only for myself, like it was a great thing to go through that period. We had a little bit, not, not successful. We made the finals. Uh, we were strong enough contender team there. Um, yeah, had a, never had a changeover of coach mid-season like Smithy left and Stoney came in. Mm. Stoney did a good job um, for what he was given there. Um, I, f- I felt for players like Kurt Gidley that played there the whole career, oh, yeah. probably deserves to play in a premiership mm. winning team. But the, um, the club sort of never 
seen that through uh, for him to have that success there. Um, but it's a it's a club that now is in the right direction. I'm actually a bit biased there. Adam O'Brien is one of my best mates yeah. from school growing up, and he's their coach there. So uh, I'm sure you get the place going really, really well. It was a, And it's a town that if you are putting in for the club and you are trying hard, regardless of the results, the town will back you. Yeah. And that's what Newcastle is about, just a good, honest, hard um, application of yourself, and, and they'll support you, win, lose, or draw them. And that was the best thing about Newcastle, sure. Yeah, for sure. But by the time you got there, you became more of a senior player. Was that the first time kind of in your career that you kind of saw yourself as a leader? Yeah, but I had to lead more so through just my actions. Um, It was just always how I presented myself, how I trained, um, how I ticked every box, um, the intensity that I trained with, always competing with the training. And initially, I don't think that went down real well. a few players weren't used to that. Yeah. And, and you're the new boy too. Yeah, new boy. And I said, well, no, this is how I've always done it. We compete for positions. I come from a club that's successful. Mm. We compete for positions. So when we're at training, we're competing because if we're not competing at training, you won't be competing game day. And you just be hoping. And once you start to hope that you have success, well, you're not going to have it. Um, so that, that didn't sit well with me initially and it didn't sit well with a few other players at, at the club as well. Um, but I was there for three years and I wasn't going to change my ways because I knew it was successful and um, they were either they got on board or they sort of moved on as well. Yeah. You know, over your career, who do you think's kind of stood out in terms of the best leaders and where have you seen the best leadership structures? Uh, yeah, we had a really good structure in Melbourne. We had a, a good leadership group mm. in plays that were still quite young. So yeah. like Kemmer Smith, um, was a, a leader at a young age. Uh, we had a leadership quality group there with Matty King, Michael Crocker, um, Matty Guy and Cameron Smith. They were all leaders in their own quality. One was a bit more jovial sort of character and led by his actions and that was Crocker and King. Mm. Um, Smithy was just about how he goes his business professionally and Matty Guy being an elder statesman. Yeah. Um, Newcastle, we had... Leaders in Danny Badiris being a, a club captain and a New South Wales origin captain, and I think even Captain Australia as well. So just because you're the captain doesn't automatically make you a good leader, but he had yep. good leadership qualities because of how he conducted himself was a, a good example. So one of the best traits related of a, of a leader is how you conduct yourself on and off the field and is that a quality that people should be able to follow? Well, if that's what your leaders have, well, then yes. And that's what Denny had and that's what Kurt had as well. They're just um, good exemplary people first and foremost and then just so happen to be the really good footy players as well. Yeah. Um, have so you done that's, that's much sort of in mark. much work, like self-development work yourself in that, that sort of area? Well, at the moment I'm doing a diploma of leadership and management. Oh, nice. Monarch. So yeah. I looked at the factor of all my coaching qualifications and experience and look, my experiences still just a drop of the ocean and that's got to keep going forward. But things that you can sort of talent stack on top of each other and it's leadership qualities and be able to manage. Yes, it is a business course, but there's so many similarities between um, a footy team and a business organisation yeah, that agree. they interrelate so much. And that's why a lot of the terminology, even in the business courses, is from the military, um, dealing yeah. with people and strategic planning and implementing a process and plan. So I'm very hopeful that, I know that that course will help me in good stead being a, a good coach as well. Um, so all those sort of, yeah, look, even 
I did a Toastmasters course once just to be able yeah, to nice. get confidence in how to talk in front of people and in front of large groups as well, um, just how to structure um, how you talk and present yourself as well. So yeah, it's more than just a lot of coaches just think, oh, once I finish footy, I'll just go into coaching. Mm. There's so much more involved wow. and in-depth um, to becoming a good coach. So that's why the successful coaches are in the NRL. They're there and they're there for a sustained period of time. They're, they're always looking for ongoing learning and you look at the coaches that had a lot of success, Maguire, Robinson, mm. um, Bellamy, um, even Wayne Bennett, say, for instance, they, they always just want to get better. Um, and if you're not getting better, mate, you stand still, you go backwards real quick. 100% agree, mate. Mate, your, your group is, if you, any group assignments that you get, mate, someone's going to get all this knowledge from, from all oh. your storm days. They're going to love it. Yeah, well, yeah, I'll just see how it goes. Um, it's been a long way, long time since I've been at, uh, been at school and, Never went to university officially as a school. I'm doing a grad cert in sports coaching at the moment and been yeah. really enjoying that and now coupling that with a diploma leadership management. So it's, um, yeah, as I've gotten older, I've seen more and more value of education and just, I just love it. Yeah. All right. To wrap things up, let's go to England because yeah. you had an interesting time there, mate, because obviously Leeds, you got yeah. McDermott who didn't really, you didn't fit in his plans, but good old no. Michael Maguire got you to, got you to Wigan, the yeah, Glamour mate, Club. So- there's a funny story how I got to – I missed out on going to Leeds because Brian McLennan, Brian McLennan, the coach of Leeds before Brian McDermott, yeah. was deaf in one ear. He was a Kiwi boy, right? Yeah, Kiwi. And Denny Badiris was at the club at the time and saying, Benzie, mm. mate, we need a front rower. We need a front rower. And he goes, mate, I've got one for you, Ben Cross in Newcastle. And at the time, there was Ben Ross was playing as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, And he did his neck and all that sort of stuff. And he was playing at Southside Buster Neck. And Brian McLennan sort of just shook his head a couple of times and um, – he went back to Bedsy a couple of days or a couple of weeks later on. Actually, it was a whole a whole year later on. He goes, tell us about that front row again. You know Ben Ross? He goes, no, mate. Ben Ross is the one with the busted neck. He said, Ben Cross, the, the New South Wales guy at Newcastle. He goes, oh, yeah, Crossy. I love him. Why don't you get him over here? He said, you should have done that about a year ago. Uh, so, so I got signed under Brian McLennan. And well, Sazel, he was a, he's a massive fan of mine and, and um, two weeks after I'd signed uh, at the end of the 2010 season, he goes and gets sacked. So he goes and gets himself sacked, and they bring in Brian oh, McDermott. No. And no fault of my own and no fault of Brian McDermott's. I'm just not in his plans. Mm. Myself and Keith Senior, a few other players, senior players have been at Leeds for quite some time, um, just weren't in his plans. And Madge was at Wigan at the time. I said, look, uh, this, is, this is not really working out. Opportunity, yeah, yeah, within a heartbeat, got the transfer over to Wigan. And funnily enough, that Madge was leaving at the end of the year. Mm. So I didn't want to be stuck in the same boat of not knowing who the coach was, not getting along with well with the coach the following year. So Witness Vikings were coming up in the Super League, getting promoted. Yeah. Yeah, and Dennis Betts, up, didn't you? Yeah, Dennis Betts. And they had an association with um, Wigan already because Dennis Best was there and they would loan players to yeah, the okay. national, national one competition. Yep. So I said, look, I'll put you in contact with Dennis, have a chat. Yeah, we got along great with Dennis. I said, mate, I'll, I'm happy to help you out for a couple of years there at Witness Vikings. And there was a lot of help involved, I tell you. Like, I can imagine. <laughs> taking a, a semi-pro amateur team up into the Super League, it was, it was tough going for the first year, but I'm so glad I did it because I'd been – to the pinnacle of a game, and I've actually been at the bottom. It wasn't too far off the shit house, um, but to build them up from ground up was was a great experience. Um, 
we, we had a bit more success the next year and then sort of came home after that. Yeah, Ben, you know they say you can't buy experience and, you know, yeah. experiences and observations. That seems yeah. to be a long sort of thing from your career because every single club that you go to has been totally different. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and you just you just got to make sure your eyes are open to see it as well. You, you just can't just go through the motions as, oh, yeah, that was my time at that club, that was my time at that club. I was trying to really experience it and um, – Always knew it was sort of knowledge banking what I was going through for when I was going to be a coach one day and, and making sure that I took all those experiences on board to happen this help me in the future. Um, yeah, sometimes you don't think of that at the time because yeah. you're standing behind your goalposts six or seven times in a game, getting your asses kicked um, when I was at uh, when I was at Witness, but playing like artificial pitch, but that's what you had to do sometimes. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's wrap up on my personality question, mate. It's my dinner party question. Now, you got five invites to a private dinner party, Ben. Now, yeah. only rules, no family or oh. friends, but you can invite anyone dead or alive. Who would you like to invite no, to dinner? Don't. Yeah, the family friends don't get invited anyway. Um, <laughs> you know what? After watching this, um, The Last Dance. Oh, I was going to ask you. That was going to be my next Michael question. Jordan. Yeah, Michael Jordan, yeah. Love to have Michael Jordan there. Hey, what do you think of Phil um, Jackson? Mate, he seems to be like a the man, doesn't he? He's very laid back, sort of cool, calm, collected sort of coach. Yeah. Allows players to be who they are because he knows and he has that trust that when I put him on the court, because I've trusted him, like Dennis Rodman. Yeah. Who else could have controlled Dennis Rodman? Control the ego, uh, mate. Jesus. He could do it. He, he, he was able to do it. Um, he knew Dennis needed his bit of time to go to Vegas and let his hair down and did you ever come play with the, the did you ever play with the Dennis Rodman type? Uh, no, probably not. No. Not that extreme, no. No. Not that it could party like that and come on and perform. <laughs> yeah. Did uh, you ever so try Michael Jordan would be one. Did, um, just on Phil Jackson, you know how he does all yeah. that meditation and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Did you did you do much of that during your career? Oh, I got into it more so uh, once I retired. Mindfulness. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and really find that Meditation does help. Like even if it's just a uh, five-minute bre- deep breathing, just to sort of clear the air and clear the mind. And uh, it's not about not thinking about anything. It's just recognizing those thoughts and sort of let them go. We we do need to declutter our head at times. I know I need to because I just got thoughts running through my head all the time about everything. Yeah, same. Uh, I'll send you. I'll tell you what, mate. I had Paul Ruse on a couple of weeks ago, and his wife. Yeah, his wife's a master of meditation, and they sent me yeah, a really. couple of uh, guided meditations. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll email it to you, mate. It only goes for 10 minutes. I've been trying it every morning, yeah. and I'm a lot more yeah. calmer, especially at the moment where you can't see people and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I know Justin calm. Langer, the Australian cricket coach, he's, he's massively involved in uh, transcendental meditation. Oh, yeah. Did you watch the he, test? You know, he, he, was, he was told he was when he in 93. Yeah. Um, some – Cricket coach come up and said, "Oh mate, you need to try transcendental uh, meditation." Mm. And he goes, "What's this guy talking about?" Then he opened the Sunday newspaper, and second page in is an advertisement for transcendental transcendental meditation. He goes, "Okay, that's twice yeah, now. Heard it in three it. days. It's a bit of a sign." He goes, "From that day on, I haven't stopped. That was since '93." Wow. So little, little triggers like that, you jumped in it, but um, he's an interesting yeah. cat, isn't he? Have you seen that he documentary, is. The Test, yet? No, not yet. Oh, no. mate, for you being a coach, rip yeah. in. Like, you would love it. Yeah. It's such a psychological yeah. thing, mate. It's not even really about sports. It's about no, that kind good. of background story, mate, what happens in the sheds. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. I'll check it out. We've got a bit of time in our hands at the moment, don't we? So, <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, yeah, Michael Jordan, the first one, and that was just, just a little bit of act of uh, what's going on on the TV at the moment. Um, look, John Wooden, uh, basketball coach, yep. uh, another going to basketball, just um, read a couple of his books and his insights. Um, geez, five people. Um, dead or alive? Yeah, I'd probably have yeah, someone funny. Jim Carrey. Yeah, he's always good. Yeah, I reckon you're right. Um, yeah, you know what? Probably Maxi Walker yeah. as well. That was Big a bit Maxie. of a cricket tragic. Yeah, mate, for yeah. sure. He was the man. Yeah, um, a bit of a left field one there with Maxi Walker, Michael Jordan, uh, John Wooden. Um, you know what? If it was uh, Warren Buffett. Yeah. Give me a bit of insight into um, a little bit of finance, some, make some finance, money. money. Yeah. So is that five? That I is think? five, buddy. Yeah. Well, Ben, I appreciate yeah. you joining me on the show. Before I let you leave, everyone get following Ben. He's on Twitter. You find him at Ben Cross is one word underscore BCLF. What's BCLF? Ben Cross uh, lifestyle fitness. Fitness. Yeah. You got a website as well, as Benny? Uh, no, that's that's shut down. I've sort of moved on from that, but um, yeah, that's still the Twitter handle and. And, and um, jumping on board too with a few little coaching opportunities um, online and stuff like that as well, which is which is launching soon. With, oh, did uh, I say playbook coach? Uh, playbook coach and uh, slow coach. Perfect. Uh, which is uh, launching today. So playbook and uh, slow coach. No, oh, they're great people. I know both Kieran they and are. Chris Lynn. Yeah. So yeah, they're, they're fantastic people. I think that that's something else. I think that's something when we grew up. Yeah, can you yeah. imagine if your parents had the opportunity to hire you a coach once a week? Unbelievable. Like you can just jump online, you're talking to a um, professional coach and they're giving you uh, direct feedback. Like, that's something that would just change people's lives. Mate, we used to, yeah. remember when used to get we, an we? Auto, we used to get an autograph? We used to think it was yeah. the best thing. Now you can actually get coached by some, one of your I heroes. Jesus Christ. Uh, these kids don't know how good they've got it. For sure. Well, Ben, all the best, mate. Hopefully, you know, I know that, you know, everything didn't go that great with COVID and things like that, but some a man of your your ability and your experience, mate, I know that someone's going to pick you up really quickly, mate. So all the best to yourself and your family, mate. Oh, thank you very much. And you stay safe and healthy yourself, mate. And uh, thank you for having me on. Pleasure, mate. And that, guys, was Ben Cross. Definitely get in touch. He's doing some private coaching at the moment. So head over to playbook.coach. I recommend the guys. Chris Lynn's been on before, and he's the founder uh, founder of Port Playbook Coach. He's currently going at eighty dollars for a forty five minute session. So, if you've got a kid, or maybe you're just coming up the ranks yourself, what better than to hire a Ben Cross for a one on one coaching experience? I can only imagine myself when I was growing up if I had the ability to be coached one on one by someone with the experience and the ability of Ben Cross. That's second enough. So head over to Playbook.coach and check that out. You can also have a look at Ben's Facebook page, Ben Cross Lifestyle Fitness. He's been doing plenty of group fitness classes. He lives up in Brisbane. That's the other thing about the one-on-one coaching as well. So head over to his page, Ben Cross Lifestyle Fitness or playbook.coach and just search Ben Cross. Definitely someone I highly recommend and for the price that you pay, you know, that's second to none. So get in touch with Benny on there. All right, guys, next week on the show, we've got Willie Peters. So Willie's coaching up at the moment, NRO assistant coach up at Newcastle at the moment. So he's got plenty of stories to share from his days at the Bunnies and also over at the Super League with Wigan. So he's a great, he's a great fellow, actually, Wigan. Uh, he's a great fellow, Willie. So 
definitely be on the lookout for that. If you like today's episode, please share it with your family and friends. Tag me on any post, Facebook or Twitter. I'm at Talking with TK. Instagram, you'll find me at Tristan Nell or get me at Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com for any guest requests or if you want to have a chat about the footy, how good is it back to have it back. So definitely get in touch. My book, Talking with Champions, get it now at Dimmick's Booktopia, Angus and Robinson, some of my best work, 75 of my favourite interviews, including the likes of Jonathan Thurston, the band of Holyfield, George Foreman, Layla Ali, and many more, plenty from the NRL there as well. So perfect for the current period we're going through, plenty of motivation and inspiration. So check it out. Talking with Champions, Dimmick's Booktopia, and Angus and Robinson. All right, guys. That's it for this week. Willie Peters next week. Stay safe out there. I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking with TK.